Welcome to the Confidently Balance Your Hormones podcast. My name is Dee Davidson, and I'm a hormone health expert, master mindset coach, and multiple wellness business entrepreneur. I'm obsessed with helping you experience hormone balance, confidence, self-love, and live a life full of joy. I know we're about to have so much fun together, so thank you so much for pushing play today, and now let's begin. Welcome to the Confidently Balance Your Hormones podcast. This is your guide, Dee Davidson, and today I'm thrilled to have a special guest on with me. You'll hear some great information from Dustin, so get out your pen and paper. Dustin is a mentor, clinical advisor, FDNP, who has become a friend. Dustin played a pivotal role as my mentor during my certification journey, and he continues to be my go-to expert for unraveling client cases. And uh, I'm just really impressed by his commitment to staying at the forefront of health, both personal and with clients. I'm just really, really impressed by you, Dustin. And I'm excited to talk about the fascinating connection between hormones and weight today. So welcome, Dustin. Yeah, thank you so much, Dee. I'm super excited to be here. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with your audience. So before we get into the nitty gritty of hormones and weight, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience about your own uh, FDN journey or your clinical experience? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm always happy to share. I definitely am totally excited about health in every way, shape and form. And and the reason why is because it started out, you know, at a um, you know very young age for me to not be healthy. And so I've just come to realize that that is our true um, biggest asset is our health. And so I definitely encourage everyone to, you know, get um, that, you know, um, understood, right? And that's certainly what you and I do as FDNs is to help them understand the big picture of what's going on in their health and creating, you know, metabolic chaos and uh, imbalance. But um, yeah, you know, there isn't a whole lot in my life that I don't try when it comes to health. And there isn't a whole lot that I won't spend when it comes to health. And so anyhow, the um, uh, health endeavor, like I'm sure a lot of your audience knows, is not an inexpensive one, um, but it is definitely a worthy one. And we so need to, you know, understand that if we're going to have quality health, uh, we definitely need to eat that quality food and it costs more, right? Or we need to have the, um, you know, quality modalities to help us achieve that health this um, day and age. Cause we're kind of, we're kind of biohacking our way out of an unnatural, unnormal world. Right. So what I've done, you know, and I think this is something that worth talking about is that I've made the expenses in my life of, you know, whether it's vehicle or home or whatever it is, um, you know, at a point and less, you know, basically lesser to a point where I can spend more money on my health. And so anyhow, I encourage my clients oftentimes to do that if there is a distinguishing factor, right, that they have to spend a little bit less somewhere, then maybe it's going to be on those things that, um, you know, aren't their most precious asset, which is their health. So that's certainly what I've done. I love that. And I know you and I talk you know, almost weekly. And we do talk about, um, you know, priorities and, and making our health a, a priority is so important because once you lose your health, it's really hard to, to regain it and all of the cascading effects of losing your health and, you know, income and 
people having to take care of you and all that stuff. So I, I love that. And again, I'm just so impressed at all of the things that you share with me that you do from your food to your um, sauna that you built. Very, very cool. I'm excited to um, share you with my audience today. Awesome. So our topic Super. today, hormones and how do they affect weight? Uh, you, you know, I picked hormone health because it's very personal to me. I was 40 pounds heavier. I know you've seen my collage of pictures and I was going to the gym six days a week and I was eating healthy and doing all the things that I knew I suspected something more was going on, which we're going to talk about the things that can be, um, you know, affecting our hormones today. And I have lots of women that come to me, you know, they've had uh, the age 40s and they're like, hey, I'm doing all the things and I think it's my hormones, but they have no idea really. They just probably have heard from someone that it's their hormones or their doctor said it's their hormones or just their age. So, um, you know, I bet a lot of the listeners suspect that their hormones are tied into their to their weight and they have no idea why. So do you mind, Dustin, just explaining a little bit about, you know, what key hormones affect weight? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about hormones, there are this uh, kind of preconceived thoughts of, you know, we're going to discuss estrogen and we're going to discuss testosterone. And yes, those can definitely play a role. There's no doubt about it. What I would rather, you know, kind of discuss a little bit maybe is um, if your audience hasn't, you know, thought about maybe the impact of hormones like cortisol, hormones like insulin, and a hormone called glucagon. Those are kind of the ones that I um, like to, you know, focus on when it comes to weight loss. And so, you know, if we talk about cortisol, people understand, you know, this is, of course, our, um, you know, stress hormone. But, um, you know, that stress part of it, right, is going to drive, you know, our overall metabolic chaos. And I'm sure that, you know, your listeners have heard about like, you know, somebody having like uh, body fat from cortisol. Well, there's certainly, you know, that is legitimate and um, stressful uh, or stress can certainly tie into that. But I think what what really it comes down to is, is the uh, increase of um, cortisol increases blood sugar. Right. And so blood sugar is one of our main drivers, right, to gaining body fat. And then we go into that other hormone that, of course, we need to put that blood sugar away into the cells and get it out of the bloodstream because it can be very dangerous if it's high for too long. And that, that's going to be insulin. Okay. And so we really don't want that insulin, you know, elevated. And so we've also heard about people that have insulin resistance. You know, we have, of course, diseases that are... um around that, you know, and that's not really our goal, but our goal would be more about like, you know, not having that insulin resistance in our lives because, you know, the more that we do, the more sugar is not going to be handled and therefore the more damage could be happening, including weight gain. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, kind of that last scenario is that, you know, we have a hormone that works opposite of insulin. And this is a hormone called glucagon that basically does um, exactly what um, insulin or opposite of what insulin does. So insulin is going to put that sugar away in the body, uh, into the cells, kind of put the fuel source away. Well, glucagon is for the most part going to bring fuel back to the cells, but it's the fuel that we really want to utilize, which is body fat. Okay. And so it puts those fatty acids back into the bloodstream to be utilized. And there's key ways that we can, of course, improve 
all of these hormones. And I, you know, the hope that that's what we're going to be talking about today. Definitely. And, you know, I, I know you're a statistics guy and you have lots of references and have pointed me in a lot of directions. I forget what I saw that recently that said how many people, will ha how many Americans will have type two diabetes um, in oh, the next yeah. 10 or 20 years. So again, blood sugar regulation is just so crazy. Uh, and I know we're going to get into a little bit more about that, but can we just talk a little about that for a second and just uh, talk about the importance of eating like uh, low sugar foods and real food? Sure, you bet. Yeah. You know, uh, there probably isn't a bigger focus, uh, you know, when it comes to health that could be worthwhile than to get our blood sugar dialed in, you know, as, as best as possible. You know, there is newer technology out there, right, called the CGMs mm -hmm. or continuous glucose monitors. You know, that's certainly one way, kind of the older fashioned way is to prick your finger and check it out. Um, but, uh, you know, um, D there's, when you had talked about this type two diabetes, there is so many devastating effects of, you know, high blood sugar mm -hmm. in the body. And, uh, you know, we have heard about some of the extreme effects of people, you know, uh, losing their, you know, limbs or losing their eyesight mm -hmm. due to, you know, basically this diabetes scenario. But, um, it's basically comes down to that your nervous system and your, um, blood system, you know, basically your circulation is highly, um, affected when there's, uh, excessive blood sugar. Mm -hmm. And so then of course, right. When we shut the nerves down or we shut the blood supply down, we're going to really impact our ability to, for example, wound heal, right? So that's right. one of those big things, you know, we're not going to be ultimately wound healing. But I think one of the things that basically I remember in my mind that constantly is a, a great reminder about how devastating the blood sugar is on the nervous system is, is that um, many doctors today even refer to, um, you know, Alzheimer's right. as type three diabetes. Oh, wow. Yes. So anyhow, I first heard that in one of Dr. David Perlmutter's, you know, books, mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, he's a neurologist and, uh, you know, he definitely knows what he's doing, mm -hmm. you know, and talking about when it comes to the, the brain. But um, that just shows you right there about how um, powerful, right, managing our blood sugar is if we can keep um, this brain from, you know, of course, going where we don't want it to, uh, just by managing our blood sugar, that is a very, very important um, scenario. And it really comes down to, um, I'll get a little technical here, but we have what we call advanced glycation end products that are essentially, you know, sugar that's so high in the blood mm -hmm. that it attaches to protein structures in the body okay. and basically kind of just caramelizes them or gunks them up. And um, ages, which is advanced glycation end products, are basically that. They wow. age the body. But bigger, bigger than that, they can contribute to these amyloid beta plaques or these um, gunked up, twisted up proteins in the brain that, um, you know, they definitely associated with, uh, you know, neurodegenerative diseases. Wow. So bottom line is get your blood sugar under control, right, Dustin? <laughs> yes. So important. And I know I went off topic a little bit here, but so, you know, I'm sure people are wondering, you're mentioning these three hormones, but how do these hormones even get out of balance? 
you know, it really does come down to like, let's say cortisol, for an example, it comes down to what you and I look at D on a daily basis, which is truly the internal and the external stressors of the body. Mm -hmm. And so we can do our best, you know, and we all try to do our best, uh, hopefully, of, you know, like, you know, getting our meditations in or getting our, you know, breathing in or, you know, just being aware and, and, um, you know, of our surroundings and kind of trying to calm ourselves down on too much stress, right? So that would be mm-hmm. an external scenario. But what we dive into, you and I, with these functional lab testing is, is the internal stressors that can certainly ramp up this cortisol, right? right. Um, we can have anything from, you know, different pathogens, um, you know, different bugs, of course, or, you know, liver congestion and hormonal imbalances, you know, when it comes down to like estrogens and testosterone and so forth, you know, that can be definitely out of balance. Um, but anyhow, those, um, external stressors also Mm -hmm. can be things like, you know, our body care products, right. That are basically raising our stress response, those EMFs that we fill our environment with, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, so anyhow, so that would be, you know, kind of how that cortisol would be get out of balance is the internal external stressors, when it comes to, you know, certainly insulin, I think that uh, all of us understand that if we're going to be eating too much sugar, right, um, that would be definitely one way of doing it. Um, the other way would be that, you know, we don't, of course, um, you know, engage in physical activity. Uh-huh. We know that that's really an important part of it. And there's, there's certainly a piece there though, right. That you could do over exercising. And that would be one of these stressors to overdo cortisol. And that wouldn't be a good thing either. And so like you were saying earlier, D, if you're going to um, go to the gym, right, right. And you're just hitting it hard all the time you know, you could certainly have just basically contribute to the weight gain by increasing that cortisol. Mm. Uh, but, um, but yeah, we definitely want to, you know, um, eat less sugar. Of course, that makes sense to get that insulin. That can be how it gets out of balance. Also these, um, polyunsaturated fatty acids, which are the uh, seed oils that we get in these processed foods can really, um, decrease our ability to be sensitive to insulin. So that's certainly one thing. Um, the our sleeping habits can certainly get that insulin out of balance. So an example here that I heard years ago was one night of poor sleep can make you as insulin resistant uh, as a type two diabetic. Wow. So that's just one night. I know. Right? I had someone say I got to catch up on sleep the other day, and I said, "Oh no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> you can't. Right. You can't catch up on sleep, people." <laughs> That's right. That's exactly what they say, you know, that you just basically lost it. There's no chance of going back. Mm -hmm. And so we just, yeah, we need to make those habits definitely. Um, But, uh, but anyhow, and then, you know, um, when it comes to um, glucagon, you know, that's definitely just going to be opposite of what we would basically do to throw um, insulin kind of out of balance. If we, if we throw glucagon out of balance, that means we're not getting enough high quality protein. That means we're doing, of course, too many sugars. Um, and, uh, so what we want to do, right. To get that, you know, hormone back u- utilizing for us, you know, to burn body fat is to eat that high quality protein to potentially get in some of the, um, intermittent fasting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked to just about stresses, mm-hmm. um, intermittent fasting can be a stressor, but we, we want to use it as a, um, you know, a benefit or a tool for us. And that can just be if, um, you know, somebody isn't exactly perfectly balanced, mm-hmm. we can basically come back to like just utilizing um, 
a uh, set feeding time for an example of like cutting down that window of eating where you say, Hey, I am done at, you know, 5 PM mm-hmm. and I'm not having anything else. And if you're not eating again until let's say seven in the morning, I mean, you're getting what, 14 hours of fasting. Of fasting yeah. right? right. So it, yeah. And so that works out really well to help improve glucagon levels. That's a great point. A couple of things that uh, popped up in my head that I have questions for you. Number one is what if someone's tracking their sugars, I've never really had anyone track their sugars. I just tell them to you know, track their blood sugar levels and, and space out their meals and have their magic plates and things like that. But if someone is listening, because I know that, especially with kids, you know, with having an 11 and a 13 year old, I forget what the number of grams of sugar that the average American child has. But if someone were to ask you, Dustin, like they're tracking grams of, of sugar, what should they be maxed out at daily? Mm-hmm. You know, what would be really ideal, you know, right, is that, you know, when it actually comes to sugar, we totally keep that like for that, uh, you know, once in a while or occasional scenario, mm-hmm. I think what we would mainly want to focus on is like how many carbohydrates okay. would be, would be kind of better. Um, but, um, but real quick on that D like, you know, when we eat one, um, teaspoon of sugar, that's four grams. Okay. Okay. So if somebody comes across like four grams of sugar in their, you know, whatever their coffee, Mm -hmm. they're eating already a teaspoon. Most of the time, you know, it ends up being like, you know, 16 grams, which is more like four teaspoons just in their coffee. But uh, our body doesn't necessarily have to have, you know, sugar, but we know that the brain runs on a a fair amount of carbohydrates. Mm -hmm. We do want to, you know, get some of that fuel coming from, you know, fatty acids, which would be our ketone fuel but um back to the um kind of the carbohydrate scenario i would say that uh we really would do best if we kept ourselves under the 150 grams a day okay area but to give you an example of what that looks like the average american eats at least double that in their day if not sometimes double that in a meal oh wow so Yes, they can do 300 grams in a meal or 300 in a day, depending, of course, on the person and what they're eating. And to clarify, that's any kind of carbohydrate, even if it's a single ingredient, sweet potato, or we're talking any carbs. Any carbs. And those would be the ones we would want to focus on. So I'm glad you had brought that up because those would be the ones that are what we call more of a complex carb that have the fiber. They also have the nutrients attached and that's why it wouldn't be really uh, justifiable by us as health coaches to give a, a sugar thing of saying, hey, you know what, you could go ahead and have, you know, 20 grams of sugar a day. Mm. You know, I would feel awful about, you know, recommending five teaspoons of sugar sure. a day to somebody. But instead, I could say, yeah, if you had 150 grams of carbs and you got these from these complex sources of vegetables and tubers and, um, you know, uh, you know, beans or whatever, right? These more complex carbs, that would probably be a better scenario because again, we're going to spike less insulin because blue, uh, glucose isn't coming up as, as, uh, fast. Right. Great, yep. great point there. Cause I know a lot of people when they first come to you and I, they might be eating a lot of processed food. We know that it's a transition of what people are used to fast and convenient, you know, these, uh, protein bars and protein shakes with all this, sugar in it. Um, and, and that's, you know, a question I get quite often. So that's a good way to, to present it. 
for sure. Um, the other thing I was thinking about was the fasting. So great point. I talk a lot with, you know, the women that I work with in regard to fasting and cutting off the time at night. I love that you reiterate that too, because uh, a lot of women just aren't, they're intermittent fasting in the morning. And I don't even think it's intentional. They just don't eat breakfast or say they're not hungry. And we can talk about that or we cannot, but um, how they've kind of suppressed that, that hunger hormone. But, uh, you know, cutting it off at night is a great way to do it as opposed to when you need energy for the whole day and your body sees it as a stressor uh, at night, you can still be doing the fasting, cut off eating earlier in the evening. Right. Yeah. I think, I think the evening scenario is so great because it does a few different things for us, right? We oftentimes are less active, you know, at night, of course, we're going to be sleeping. And so that's a great time to not have a bunch of fuel in, but on top of that, you know, our digestion really does need a rest. And so if we're actually giving our body that opportunity to rest, uh, it's such a great time. And then other, also we're not, uh, we're not awake a lot of that time. Mm -hmm. So we're not having to focus on, you know, um, you know, our, is our blood sugar, um, correct or whatever it is. And, uh, but to your point, I would say, yeah, we do want to get ourselves into that habit where we're not, um, deciding that, you know, every day is a big long fast because we've decided that on top of the whole night, um, we're going to skip breakfast too. Mm -hmm. And then we end up basically getting in that situation where we're, uh, you know, in that um, more kind of external internal stress mm -hmm. that would just raise the cortisol and kind of keep you running off of your, um, uh, you know, your sugar that is coming from the body. And this brings up a great point. So D, if you, if you're fasting, okay. okay. Uh, and you actually upregulate glutathione, mm -hmm. uh, sorry, not glutathione, but glucagon. Okay. If you upregulate glucagon, the other hormone we were talking about, you know, if you get it to the point where it's basically breaking down your, your liver and your muscles, right. It's taking this glycogen storage or the stored sugar out of your muscles and putting this blood sugar into the body, mm -hmm. then guess what? We have just kind of created another stressor for the body to um, kind of raise blood sugar. Mm. Well, often when we raise cortisol, cortisol then raises blood sugar um, afterwards if it's if it's too long and too much. Okay. And so this is kind of why we don't want to do these long extended fasts all the time. Now they're okay once in a while. And when you and I see their functional labs, we can see whether or not their body actually can handle it. You know, if they're in the exhaustive phase of HPA axis dysfunction and, and some of your listeners may know what that is, but basically um, the brain's not communicating well to the adrenals, so we're not going to be making our hormones correctly. And therefore, we just don't need additional some massive stressors like too much fasting mm -hmm. um, or all the time fasting. And so we do want to use these tools like exercise, like fasting to our advantage and not our disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some of the listeners might be thinking exhaustive. That's not me. But I just want to share that I was in that exhaustive phase and, um, you know, many people would have looked at me and thought like she's in peak health and, you know, everything's great with her. Um, but, you know, I had those internal stressors and I was fasting and doing boot camps on a fast in a fasted state. So um, you can't really judge by the exterior whether someone's in an exhaustive phase or not. Right, Dustin? Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I was also there too. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how can we, I know we've talked about a few things here, but how can we balance our hormones to improve weight? 
Yeah. You know what? That is super good. Um, you know, we definitely want to, um, let's, let's kind of break it down here. You know, when we talked about cortisol, we definitely want to figure out ways that we can, of course, um, eliminate the stressors, mm -hmm. right. And we want to do get those internal and externals. Um, but we also want to make sure that we keep that blood sugar stable because of course that is a stressor. Mm -hmm. And remember that there are natural sweeteners out there like, you know, monk fruit or stevia, if you wanted to use that to uh, kind of get away from the sugar, it's a good transition. Um, we did talk about, you know, of course, um, sleeping better, that would certainly help. Let's get to bed, you know, by 10 PM and try to get the blue light knocked back because that's certainly a stressor mm -hmm. to the body. And also, um, you know, maybe uh, avoiding a little bit less uh, or a little more caffeine, right. Mm -hmm. We can maybe bring in, um, things that, uh, balance our body just a little more like yerba mate tea or, you know, some mushroom coffee or something, um, we talked a little bit about the, you know, EMFs, if we can just at least turn the Wi-Fi off at night, that'll get our body less, uh, sympathetic dominant, okay. which is be that part of the kind of stress piece. Uh, also if we certainly can work with, uh, the like, uh, deep breathing, I know a lot of us uh, get into this, uh, busy day and mm -hmm. busy life where we can shallow breathe mm -hmm. and we don't end up, you know, kind of managing that stress before it gets too crazy. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but D, you know, as you're so aware, like I'm such a huge supplement fan and, and there's key ones that can really help us out. And I wanted to certainly uh, give your listeners a couple of those, you know, we do have adaptogens out there that are really helpful, okay. uh, like ashwagandha, shisandra, rhodiola, milky oat seed. These things are really great, but uh, they often come in like a mixed formula. Okay. So you can find that but here's a great one for uh, people that are really dealing with a cortisol overload is things like phosphatidylserine. Okay. Uh, they also call it PS or um, there's a, a Rolora and Rolora is made from the magnolia flower basically or, um, um, but anyhow, so we can basically get those kind of things to help us mm -hmm. uh, with cortisol. Now, when it comes to insulin, we know, of course, let's drop that sugar down just a little bit um, or maybe a lot, depending on who you are. We're going to increase the exercise a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, not overdoing it, of course. And then also, you know, getting back into um, just a shortened, a shortened eating window, maybe not too much intermittent. We talked about removing those polyunsaturated fatty acids, but also maybe increasing your vitamin D levels. As we know, this is such a big deal for helping with sun. Yes. Uh, you know, our sun is one of those, but helping with insulin sensitivity. So sun would be a good source, but also, um, you know, supplements. We do have good supplements that would be like cinnamon, uh, chromium and vanadium minerals, um, you know, bitter melanin, berberine. So there are some great things out there to help us with um, insulin uh, sensitivity, uh -huh. but, um, and then, you know, like we talked earlier, you know, with glucagon, let's definitely increase our high quality protein. Let's, you know, eat less processed carbohydrates and let's do those shorter intermittent fasting to give that body that right signal to improve glucagon. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just have to say, I love cinnamon. I put it on everything. I even put it, I'll even put it on a spoon and lick it. It's just so good. Oh. <laughs> it's good stuff. I, I'm with you. It's good stuff. It is so great. Um, do you, do you get the Ceylon cinnamon? No. What is that? Um, Ceylon is the one that they say is the very best for blood sugar management. Like you can actually get 
or you can take very little and get the effect of a lot of some of the other varieties out there. So yeah, take a look at Ceylon cinnamon. You can buy it and actually, since somebody like, like myself loves it, just like you do the, the bulk bags from like mountain rose herb company. Okay. I'll have to go Um, out there and look at it. Yeah. Super great. Awesome. So let's, let's wrap up our episode with um, mistakes. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you see people doing and, you know, how does it interfere with them achieving the weight that they want? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's such a great question. You know, uh, one of those, the biggest that I've kind of come to, uh, think about is that people, you know, in general, right. Just we gravitate a little bit more towards comfort. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's natural, you know, it's just the way it is, mm-hmm. but we have certainly the ability to do so this day and age, even more so. And I think that if we, um, I want to put this just a little bit of a perspective. So D, if we have uh, a vehicle, right, the mm-hmm. input to that vehicle for its fuel is going to be gasoline. Right. Okay. So we certainly need um, the right input. If we want to input something into, you know, the computer so it operates correctly, we need to do that, mm-hmm. right? It's no different than our body. We really need to have these correct inputs. And what I see is, is the biggest mistake that people make is the kind of wrong input into the body. And here's a great example is that our um, our liver and our muscles, right? They hold this stored energy, like I'd mentioned earlier, of glycogen. Right stored sugar. Um, I don't see uh, people wringing that out. So mm. basically like if you had a sponge, right, that was completely saturated with water, mm-hmm. we would need to wring that out to hold more water. Okay. Right. Well, if we do this with our muscles and our liver, um, just a few days a week where we really push that intensive cardio limit, or we push that intensive uh, muscular limit, Mm -hmm. we're going to wring that glycogen out. And then guess what? The body becomes insulin sensitive, Uh which is our real goal because we have just depleted this um, muscle and liver of their stored energy and the body's going, Oh, I got to get this back because I need to have it there for any time. Right. You know, I'm going to be in this stressful situation. Um, I won't go too deep into all the inputs, but another one of those big inputs that we kind of sit at is this perfect, like 72 degrees that doesn't give our bodies this um, response that it ultimately, you know, desired and needed as an ancestral human being, basically, of kind of this hot and cold exposure. So I do think that that's a big mistake that people don't utilize for losing weight and being their optimal um, healthiest, fittest person is to really embrace this like sauna cold plunge scenario and and it can be it doesn't have to be extreme you know i mean it can be as simple as maybe slap uh, splashing some water on your face uh-huh. and that can really uh you and i have conversations about people getting this healthy cortisol awakening response right and one way to do that is to stimulate their vagal tone and so we want that vagal nerve that runs from basically the you know, the brain stem all the way down, you know, to be stimulated, mm-hmm. right? And we can do this through, you know, good inputs like cold and, and hot exposure. Um, so those are kind of some of the big mistakes is like hanging out in that comfort zone of 72 degrees or not pushing yourself to the maximum. And again, this is only short durations, D. We wouldn't want to do extensive cardio where it goes longer than like 10 minutes of hardcore yeah, push Yeah, I recently and heard you- someone say, sprint is the best 
thing you can do yeah. is just get out there and sprint. And how many people, you know, I'm going to be 50 this year. I don't see a lot of 50 year olds <laughs> sprinting anymore. I love it, but I don't see a lot of 50 year olds sprinting. Yeah, just one time, just one time. I mean, just go as hard as you can until you're just like out of breath and like you maybe have that little bit of feeling in the back of your throat, or your stomach, like, oh, this isn't comfortable. Right. Right. And then it's over. Like that took you two minutes. Right. And and then all of a sudden you've ringed out your, you know, your liver of that glycogen or whatever. And then, you know, push the weights, you know, a couple mm -hmm. times a week where it's really ringing out those muscles. And we're not talking about over exercising because we're going to get right back to that cortisol piece that we were talking about earlier that we don't want to you know, drive, um, weight loss, uh, uh, inhibited weight loss with that excess cortisol. Right. And, and that's another thing too, is, and I know you have a lot of, uh, female clients that you work with as well Is that a lot of women that are doing the cardio and they might be doing some group classes and stuff, but they're, they're afraid to do the, the weights. And I just keep reminding you that you're not gonna, you know, bulk up it takes a lot to bulk up by doing weights, but it, it certainly is something that's necessary. Um, wouldn't you agree, Dustin? It is so necessary. Yeah. I mean, especially in a women's uh, situation where, you know, on uh, average, their bone density will decline a lot easier than males. Mm -hmm. Bone density, it's going to be that much even more important. Um, but uh, I'm actually glad you brought that up, D. You know, I was a personal fitness trainer for 10 years, and I can't tell you how many times I heard that bulk up <laughs> scenario. And uh, it's really, really, really challenging for women to bulk up. And if they do, they're likely taking steroids. Yeah. I mean, it just is so challenging. I had a gal that worked for me for years at my personal training studio and she lifted often and hard and heavy. And she was just very, very tiny, petite, but muscles were popping out uh -huh. all over the place. Right. Because, but it, well, there was no bulk, right. It was just lean and it was, just, it's just the way the women's body is. You're right. just, it's not naturally going to get bulky. Nothing to be afraid of. Do it. You'll, right. you'll, your body will thank you. Yes. Well, thank you, Dustin, for taking the time to share your expertise and shedding light on this whole connection between hormones and, and weight management. As always, it was a wonderful conversation. And uh, thanks again. Yes, my pleasure. Thank you, Dee. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Confidently Balancing Your Hormones. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd love for you to share it with a friend and also hit follow at the top of this podcast. If you have a couple of minutes and you can leave a quick review, it will help other women in need find this podcast. You can find me on Instagram at confidently underscore love underscore yourself. I would love to stay connected and hear from you. 